We'll continue reading from where Brother Tom left off. Chapter 28, verse 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Malita. That's modern Malta. And it's striking how the gospel came to that island here in this account. Malta is 60 miles south of Sicily, Italy, and about 1,200 miles east of Jerusalem, east and slightly north, in the middle of the Mediterranean. On this island, we still have what is called St. Paul's Bay, which answers to the biblical description of where they shipwrecked. Melita means honey. A guy wonders what what the natives were doing that day. There had been a fierce storm on the island, and I suppose they were hunkered down because this was a storm of epic proportions. They had not seen the sun or the moon or the stars. Not sure how unusual that was for them. It wasn't so important, really, because they weren't the ones sailing. Those sailing relied upon the uh, celestial uh, bodies to guide their navigation. But here on Malita, it was simply a fierce storm. And so they uh, protected themselves as best they could and uh, hoped for the day where they could get out and find some uh, food or draw some water or simply... Uh, build a fire. I wonder how the children uh, acted during those days. How did the parents act over their concern for the children? I remember when I was just in grade school, the Columbus Day storm hit the West Coast, including Portland, but certainly Roseburg, where we lived. And it was exciting. I was at school when the the principal came over the intercom system and announced that we'd be going home from school early. Well, that was good news. I didn't understand why. Even the weathermen could hardly understand what was coming up the coast because their uh, weather instruments uh, were uh, breaking, literally, as this storm moved up. It wasn't like they have satellite images nowadays. So they uh, knew it was a, a bad storm, but they could not tell just how monstrous it was, and it was monstrous. So they let us out of school early, and I recall getting off the bus on the quail lane there with my mother running out of the house to greet us from the bus and escort us through those tall oak trees to our home. She typically didn't run out and greet us off the bus, not that she didn't look forward to having us come home again, but uh, this was very unusual. She was uh, stricken with a panic. And sure enough, a lot of damage uh, was done uh, along the west coast of uh, Oregon and even into uh, uh, Washington and, and Northern California. But here, uh, the parents were, were no doubt concerned as well. They needed to get out and uh, go on with their life. I suppose some of them were fishermen. Well, this was not sailing season, but uh, I suppose it was still uh, fishing season, but they couldn't go out there. They weren't going to go out into that troubled water. Uh, they knew that they, they would risk their lives to do so. So they're waiting for this uh, storm to pass. Well, soon uh, they were to be greeted with a startling sight. Uh, 
something that was very unusual uh, for them. Uh, but uh, the uh, exciting part of this account is what they did not know then was good news was about to arrive. The island name means honey, so I suppose we could say sweet news was about to arrive. And that was the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the backstory is and relates to one Julius to a degree. He's not the key character in the account. But one day he was tapped as a Roman centurion to gather a crew together to escort some prisoners to Rome. And as a result, he gathered soldiers and uh, sailors. And I say again, it was not sailing season, so it's hard to know the response of those who learned that they were going to be sailing to Rome. Some may have greeted that news with a, a, a excitement, thinking, oh, I've always wanted to see Rome. Others thought, well, I don't, I'm not really excited about sailing this time of year. But they uh, lived in a, a rigorous uh, time, so I, thinking they didn't really have much of an option about going. So they gathered themselves together, the sailors and the soldiers. Julius was their commander, and they also had some prisoners. It's not clear how many they had, but we find out from Luke's writing later on that there are 276 altogether. Well, how would you feel if you were tasked with helping escort prisoners? on this long journey of over a thousand miles from the east coast of what we know as Israel and what they knew as Israel to to Rome, Italy. What, What have they done? What crimes have they committed? You know, how incorrigible are these characters? Well, the answer may have come back. Well, that fellow over there that you, you see, that uh, grizzled uh, veteran kind of a guy, and I'm not talking military veteran, I'm just talking uh, grizzled, um, he's a murderer. And, and that fellow over there, well, he's a robber. We don't know how, ma- how many there were, but then there was one more. What did he do? Well, his name is Paul, and he's in trouble with the, the Jewish people. What, what, what's this crime? Well, he was accused of, of uh, forsaking Moses and uh, bringing Gentiles into the temple. And furthermore, he's known to be a pestilent fellow. Well, he was not forsaking Moses, and he did not bring Gentiles into the temple. Whether or not he was a pest or not, that was uh, up to the opinion of, of those of that day. Uh, but uh, to them he was, but they did not realize that he offered uh, a savior of, of life unto life and of death unto death. So they boarded the ship. And at some point, I'm supposing that they heard the testimony of, of Paul. And certainly by the end of their uh, journey, uh, they had been exposed to his faith. So before the gospel news arrived on the island that we know as Malta, the gospel news arrived on that ship to well over 200 souls who perhaps had never heard the gospel story. 
Paul could tell them how that he was on his way to Damascus to arrest those of this Christian, what they call the sect. But before he got there, he became a prisoner of the Lord himself. He was saved. Well, that led to him appearing before the Jewish Sanhedrin council to defend his actions. Well, he let them know that for the hope of Israel, I, I am accused. He believed in Jesus, the one that he had so long persecuted, or at least for a few years. He perhaps was saved five or six years after Jesus' resurrection and was determined to destroy that faith. But before long, after that conversion experience on the road to Damascus, he began to preach the faith he once sought to destroy. Well, the Sanhedrin could not get him to cooperate, and so he ended up appearing before the Roman governors, first Felix, and then Festus, and then King Agrippa, with no satisfaction to his case, so he appealed to Rome. And that is what embarked them on this journey to Rome. And they launched out. Paul, knowing that they should not be sailing in this weather, warned against it. But Julius was accountable to the owner of the ship or the custodian of the ship. So he conferred with his boss and determined that he was going to obey him rather than the counsel of Paul the Apostle. Well, they launched out, and before long, they encountered a mighty hurricane-like storm. And it was uh, the name of it was Eurocladon. And that's a combination of a Greek word for east wind and a Latin word for north wind. It's what on the east coast they would call a nor'easter. I've had experience with a nor'easter. Brother Tom lived on the east coast, so he, he would know about it, but I'd never heard of such a thing until Debbie and I uh, made our first trip many years ago to uh, New York. And the plane upon which we were flying was uh, on a certain time schedule, so I knew when we should be descending, and it felt like we were descending uh, into JFK. But uh, when we looked out the windows to see light or see uh, some sign of that we were getting close to land, it just felt like we were getting close, close, close. But that went on for, it seemed like, a couple of hours. And it may have been. The plane was was uh, very much uh, impacted by the wind, so we knew that there must be a storm, but we learned after we land that it's, it was called a nor'easter. And after we landed, by the way, we were told we were the last flight to land before they closed the airport. So I know what a nor'easter is, and I know what it is to try to fly into an airport during a nor'easter, but most of us don't know what it is to be on a small vessel by modern terms in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea during the equivalent of a hurricane or hurricane-like winds. Well, they ran into trouble in a hurry. And by the second day, they were helplessly driven at the mercy of the sea. They didn't know if they would survive or not, so they cast over the cargo and a lot of the tackling those things that they deemed to be non-essential, hoping that uh, somehow the vessel would continue to uh, float and, and weather out this storm. Well, it was taking on water. Uh, 
As I said earlier, there was no compasses in those days, so no way to navigate. Basically, they didn't know where they were, except to know that they were somewhere between Israel and Italy. But they did not know which way they were going, how soon they would get there. And before long, the Bible says, all hope that they would be saved was lost. It was hopeless. They were not going to survive this. Nevertheless, um, Paul stood forth in the middle of this storm and uh, had an optimistic message. When there was no reason to offer hope, he offered hope. He said, an angel of the Lord appeared to me in the night and assured me that we would all land, reach land safely, that no life would be lost. And uh, by the way, he said, I believe God that it will be just the way God said it would be. Well, it pays to believe God. It pays to believe God when there is no visible reason or invisible reason to do so. If God has given us a promise, God will bring it to pass. So we can take heart in the, in the fact that Paul believed God and we believe God as well. That God has a purpose in every event and God will accomplish his purpose if we simply go along uh, with with his uh, will along the way. They learned in that day uh, what was essential and what was non-essential. What they uh, deemed was non-essential, they threw overboard. They wanted to save their lives. So they, they did that. Well, we travel through life and perhaps accumulate uh, some non-essential uh, attitudes or possessions or whatever. We We don't want anything to be more essential to us than a walk in the middle of the will of the Lord. If we, if, if the Lord reveals to us something that hinders that walk, we want to do what the sailors did to the tackling. We want to throw it overboard and just let it drift away and keep our focus upon God. Well, before it uh, was over, they had a Thanksgiving feast, not with turkey and trimmings, but with bread and water, but they received it with gladness and were uh, happy and thankful and rejoiced for a season, even though they were not safe yet. But they took heart in Paul's encouragement, and that led them to be encouraged as well. And we heard in the scripture reading how God provided a path when there seemed to be none. It wasn't a smooth landing, but it was a landing, and they were happy to reach the shore. So we, we thank God for the success of that. Well, meantime, on the island of, of Malta, the natives were, were perhaps peeking out from time to time. And one morning, when somebody looked out of their uh, abode, they noticed the strangest uh, sight. And there was a ship on the horizon in, in the middle of a stormy sea. Well, not in the middle. By now, it was approaching the shore. And they thought, what is going on here? You, you cannot sail in this kind of weather. We'll tell that to Julius and his people. They were already out there. But they, they looked at that and saw it uh, coming in <clears throat> and noticed it, it's headed for the rocks. This is not going to end well. They did not know that there were nearly 300 lives on board, but they operated under the presumption that these people uh, would surely die. And sure enough, the ship ran aground and they could watch as the waves crashed against the hinder part of the ship and it began to uh, to uh, break out. 
And perhaps they saw one here and one there jumping in and begin to swim toward the shore and others grabbing a hold of the pieces of the ship and paddling their way to shore. But as they came up to the shore, even those sailors and soldiers and prisoners, they didn't know what what they would greet, what would greet them rather on this island. But they probably weren't too, too concerned about that at that point. They just wanted to get to the shore. But these stragglers came up. They were cold. They were soaking wet. And despite the fact they had had slight nourishment, they were hungry. And God blessed them with friendly natives. They greeted them, built a fire for them, had them come. Paul helped kindle or gather the wood. And as they gathered around this fire, I picture a bonfire. I don't know if I suppose some of the prisoners that had been on board scattered and thought, I'm getting out of here while the getting's good. Uh, but uh, the soldiers and and um, uh, sailors perhaps take, took advantage of the friendly natives and warmed themselves. But as Paul was uh, near the fire, uh, suddenly uh, what uh, is called a, a, a viper or a, I think a beast at some point uh, latched a hold of him, perhaps a serpent or a snake or, or something other, uh, some other reptile and got a hold of him and he shook it off. The natives must have recognized that uh, varmint and thought, oh, this is not going to, this is not good. Paul was a doctor, or rather Luke was a doctor and Luke was uh, traveling with them. He was saved. He uh, was a com- traveling companion of, of uh, Paul and he uh, perhaps looked at looked at Paul and looked at the grip that the serpent had had on him and said, Paul, I've, I've seen this before. It does not end well. The natives, meantime, thought, ah, he's a murderer. This is evidence. The man's a murderer. He escaped the sea, but has now been greeted by this viper, and he'll drop dead in a moment. But he didn't. He shook that thing loose, and when they thought he would faint dead away, he was fine and cheerful, perhaps gathered more wood and began to tell his story. And so suddenly when he didn't die, they said, no, he's not a murderer, he's a god. Well, their assessments were somewhat extreme uh, each way, but every every individual, every human soul must uh, come to grips with the the reality of uh, determining whether there's something to the gospel or whether there's nothing to the gospel. There's no in-between. We either embrace it or we reject it. Well, in this case, uh, they began to take interest in this uh, missionary who had escaped the sea and the, and the serpent. The chief of the island, Publius, offered for him to, to stay with me a few days. I'll get you uh, and, and your people uh, warmed up. And so he did for three days. He spent time in, in that abode. And during that time, I'm guessing they began to chat. And Publius said, as Paul inquired about his family, well, my, my father's been quite ill. He hasn't done well at all, and it's a concern. Well, Luke looked him over and thought to himself, well, this doesn't look good either. I suppose if they were going to name it, this was about 61 A.D., so they would have named it COVID-61 and thought, this is, uh, this is not so good. 
But you know, they prayed and God healed the man. God is still in the healing business. He's still in the recovering business. And before long, the natives from all over the island came and they were determined to be prayed over as well. And they too were healed. And Paul uh, stayed there uh, three months, but he left more, uh, he, he, uh, he left with more than healthy natives. He left natives who had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel came their way and uh, some responded, I'm sure, while others did not. And we find the same thing when he finally reached Rome and was there to for his appeal to be heard. And they he convened with some of the Jewish people of, of that day and, and others who came uh, to hear him. And we read toward the end of the chapter, Acts 28, and some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. But that is in part how the gospel came to Rome. So the, go- the gospel comes. It, it came to Malta. Before that, it came to those on the ship. And later it came to some in Rome who had not heard it before, although some in Rome had been to Pentecost. So it's not the initial maiden voyage of the gospel to that place. But some of the people believed who would not have otherwise heard the gospel. You know, the gospel comes to everyone. It, it, Jesus is the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. I love Isaiah, which is repeated in the Gospels. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light hath shined. It's hard for me not to reflect back on how the Gospel came to Quail Lane, just outside of Roseburg. Here was a family that Grew up, mom and dad, married in the late 40s, had seven uh, children uh, during the late 40s and uh, through the 1950s. And we were what today would be called a nuclear family. But we were without God, without some of us, without any desire to even think about God. But the gospel eventually came to us. Sometimes we say we come to God, and we must come to God. But before we can come to God, God must come to us. And that's what happened in these accounts uh, throughout uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Everywhere Paul went, he brought the gospel to uh, people who had not heard it before. I remember growing up, uh, one of the neighbors was, was Brother Bromps. I don't know that I've ever, ever saw the man, but I would hear that name dropped. He was the one who, as far as I know, initiated vacation Bible school at Riversdale School, uh, just uh, at the corner of Garden Valley Boulevard and, and Curry Curry Road there. It was a two-room school house, and that's, in fact, where I went to first and second grade. During the summer, they had a vacation Bible school. Alice Cruz was was the my vacation Bible school teacher. I did not like vacation Bible school. I did not want to go to vacation Bible school, and it was two weeks long. It was a grueling two weeks. I could not successfully memorize the verses that they wanted us to memorize, but even so, the gospel was there. The gospel came to me there. I didn't recognize it for what it was, did not appreciate it, but those names and these people, that's that's how the gospel came. I worked at U.S. Plywood for a year or so in Roseburg, uh, Champion International, pulling green chain, and then that uh, green plywood, well, it wasn't plywood yet, green veneer off the off the belt. It was heavy, and it was a lot of uh, of work. 
But during the uh, break times, there was a man whose name I do not even know. He would leave uh, what we would call uh, little magazines, uh, the Light of Hope size uh, nowadays, uh, on the lunch counter, and, and he saw me reading uh, one of those one day and asked me if I liked what I read. Honestly, I can't remember what I read. I can't remember it impressing me or, or pulling me in. But uh, he was a very quiet man. Well, that he, he was trying to bring the gospel. He had a hard heart uh, on his hands with me. But it was, it was later on where I finally did respond uh, to the gospel and uh, attended the Apostolic Faith Church there in Roseburg and was ultimately saved. Well, the, the gospel came to each prisoner on that vessel. It came to each soldier, each sailor. It came to Malta. And it, it comes to you. Perhaps 2020 is the shipwreck by which the gospel comes to many souls around the world. May God help us to be alert uh, to the fact that, that God is calling, God is speaking. Whether or not people are listening, that's another issue. But we can be confident that God is speaking. So let's pray that in the days ahead until Jesus comes, that he'll help us to do our part to make sure that souls are rescued from the storms of life and make sure that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're going to have an altar call after which we'll be dismissed in prayer.